Bird Free Movie Podcast for Lady Bird. My name is Tom Chick. I'm here with Christian Munkowski. I'm a Munkowski in a deeper sense. <laughs> um, do you have another one? <laughs> because also here with a Lady Bird tagline, Tom Chick. Uh, uh, Christine Mook. <laughs> Did you get that? Because it's like a prequel to Francis Ha. Her name is Christine McPherson. So I'm making the tagline Christine Mook, which is a play on Francis Ha. It's, it's probably not a very good tagline or joke if you have to exhaustively explain it like that. But that's what I'm going with. Well, people call, you know, people call themselves by the names that, you know, Tom Chick gives them, but they don't believe in God. Uh, way too obscure a quote, Nathan. You're gonna have to explain that, but it would involve spoilers. <laughs> so first, let's. Uh, Kelly Wan is not here. He, we're pretty sure he's gonna be back next week. We're not sure, a hundred percent. I'd say we've got ninety-three percent surety. Mm. Uh, which it, wait, now where do we go? Is it my turn to do numbers? Wait, I'm like Dingus. Do you have any taglines for Lady Bird? Uh, I do not. Um, I'm just excited to get to talk. I mean, we could talk about the movie, I guess. I don't know. Well, first, let me do some math. Speaking of percentage certainty, uh, this is at 100 percent on Rotten Tomatoes, which is pretty cool. Like you might think, oh, it may not have that many reviews. Nobody just came out and was like, yeah, I don't like it. What was that? I don't know. Did you hear it? I don't know. Yeah, that that was the sound of a Rotten Tomato review on Rotten Tomatoes. Lady. Lady Bird got zero of those. Uh, it's at 100%, but there are 170 reviews, all positive. Uh, so congratulations, director and writer Greta Gerwig. Hmm. Uh, on Metacritic, the average rating from various reviews is 94. Hmm. It opened on, uh, let's see, seven. So, Dingus, I'm going to give you a math quiz here. We did the podcast last week for three billboards outside Ebbing, Missouri last week. This week we're doing Lady Bird. They both had a, their their release, their wide release this week weekend. Uh, Lady Bird is on 790 screens. Three Billboards was on 614 screens. So roughly the same size limited release. Which movie would you guess made more money per screen? No, no, just overall. Per screen is also yeah per, per screen or overall actually. I would have to say um, Lady Bird. Nope. Three billboards what? made four and a half million to Lady Bird's four million. I mean, they both did very well, but for whatever reason, I'm guessing a lot of it had to do with marketing, maybe star power. Actually, I don't know. Do people go out and see Woody Harrelson movies? Is that maybe what happened? That's with a good that? point. Yeah, uh, we haven't but, actually even told them what we're what we're doing this week. What do you mean? Oh, that's what I skipped. Dingus, why don't you tell the listeners? Because I'm a terrible person. Yeah. Dingus, tell the listeners what movie we saw. Oh, no, and that's now where we're doing it. I got it in the right yeah. place. I was just no, I there. believe you. All right, so Dingus, tell the listeners what we saw. Don't spoil anything because that's going to be part of the synopsis. All right, well, this week we saw Lady Bird. Not Lady Bird, Lady Bird. A 2017 American comedy drama movie about learning to fly. It was written and directed by Greta Gerwig, which, oddly enough, her name does not appear at the beginning or the end. Did you know what are you talking about? She's not in the credits? Nope. Well, there's no and opening credits, are there? Yeah, there's no opening. Not really. There's just that quote, and then the movie starts. And right. Then at you, the get end, little, you get a little Didion, and then the movie begins. Mm-hmm. A little Didion. <laughs> Joan Didion quote. Yeah, and that's right. So that's she's not credited as director-writer in this, the crawl at the end? 
No, I don't know why they do that either. I, I, I think she just was, is being uh, artsy, maybe. I don't know. Um, but I and I noticed that both times I, I saw it. And I, by the way, I think a little Didion is a nice uh, tagline. Um, I don't know uh, so enough about Joan Didion though to apply that. Like I couldn't. I, I could. I, the what I know about Joan Didion, I is basically the quote before this movie. Beyond that, I couldn't yeah. tell you anything about her. So, oh, okay. But I guess this movie was Didion-esque, you're saying? I, I have no idea, but I, 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 love the, I love the way a little Didion sounds. Ah, I, just right. like the, I just like the sound of it. And I think that I could see a marketing person going, yeah, yeah, he's got something there. And then being pushed, like, what does that mean? And the marketing person going, uh, I don't know, but it just sounds cool, just <laughs> like I just did. So um, Lady Bird stars Saoirse Ronan. Lori I'm gonna, real quick, close your eyes. Close your eyes. Are they closed? Yes. Seriously, close your eyes. Now spell Saoirse without looking at what you've written um, in your notes. Well, I come on, just try it. S a o i r s e. I don't know how he did. Let's see. S a o i r s e. R s e. Yeah. Oh, you got it right. Very good. All right. Now pronounce it. Well, we've been talking about her for a long time. It's Saoirse. We've been talking about her for a long time, and that's actually kind of an exciting part of. Of uh, getting to talk about this movie, I would uh, not be able to spell her name without looking it up. Seriously, I would never trust my guess as far as the syllable, the order that the the vowels go in. I yeah. So you did well, Dingus. That was impressive. Thank you. Uh, I I just see it in my head. I see words in my head. All right. So Sergio Ronan, Laurie Metcalf, um, Tracy Letts. Mm-hmm. All of these sound like women so far. Uh, <laughs> yeah, are there any dudes in this movie, Dingus? <laughs> Lucas Hedges, uh, Beanie Feldstein. Mm, not sure, dude or chick. Could go either right. way. <laughs> and Lois Smith. Chick, yep. Mm. Lady Bird is rated R. Well, come on, there's no reason for that. For, I, I love this rating so much, for language, sexual content, brief graphic nudity, and teen partying. When was the grief, brief graphic nudity? I think it was the Playgirl magazine. Oh, my God. It was graphic. There's a full-on male erection in this movie. Dingus, I yep. forgot about that. Yeah. All right. <laughs> but it's a printed it's a printed erection. So I, I guess it, it, it gets an R instead of an NC-17. Like a real boner would get an NC-17. A printed, <laughs> a printed filmed boner only gets an R. Like in Fight Club. Right. Very good. Yeah. yeah very just, good. Just a static image of a boner is fine as long as it doesn't like wobble or anything. Got, there can be no motion. The bo- the boner must be motionless. <laughs> that sounds like the weirdest thing a Catholic uh, nun ever said to somebody. The boner must be motionless. Six inches. Six inches for the Holy Spirit. Oh, Dingus, I think we're done now with. Hold on. I was sipping what? a beer. You caught me uh, unprepared. We're now ready to have the Lady Bradopsis brought to you courtesy of distributor A24. Uh, Dingus, you and I have been to film festivals before, and one of the most excruciating jobs in the world, I think, because there, there's just a certain – writing marketing copy for art house movies has just got to be painful because you got to make it sound like a review. So here's what A24 – puts as the marketing copy for their synopsis of Lady Bird. Ready for this? In Lady Bird, Greta Gerwig reveals herself to be a bold new cinematic voice. 
with her directorial oh. debut, excavating both the humor and pathos in the turbulent bond between a mother and her teenage daughter. <sighs> Christine McPherson fights against, but is exactly like her wildly loving, deeply opinion. I can't go on, Dingus. I can't <laughs> read the rest of this. There's a whole other paragraph of it, and it's all painful crap like that. It's terrible. Like, I, oh, good Lord. Taking what Greta Gerwig has, has accomplished and putting it in a little paragraph of marketing copy, uh, so painful. So we're going to skip that, and, and finally, <laughs> next week, when Kelly Wong gets back, we'll have a bona fide synopsis, presumably, of Justice League. In the meantime, Dingus, what's a movie that's slightly better than Lady Bird, a movie that's not quite as good as Lady Bird, and what's your overall assessment of this thing? All right, I would put um... – I don't know if this would be a surprise to you, but I would put Rushmore just over this. Uh, I really like that movie. I don't know if you've ever seen it or heard me talk about it before. Um, and, I do find that to be a weird choice, which we'll talk about in a moment. Go ahead. Okay. And then under this, I would put Garden State, um, mainly because of the fraught parent relationships in in both movies uh, and the difficulties. So, but there, there are also other similarities that uh, – that strike me, especially with Rushmore. Uh, I'm, I'm really crazy about this movie. Uh, I've seen it two times now. Um, it really moves me uh, to a ridiculous extent. I mean, I spent much of this movie, and I saw it again today, um, just crying my eyes out. I just really love this movie. I'm, I'm just crazy about it. And uh, as much as I've liked the other stuff that uh, Greta Gerwig has been doing over the last couple of years, uh, as far as becoming, you know, all those things that the copy you read said, um, I really think she's uh, she just shows uh, this confidence in this in directing that I was not expecting. Uh, and that's why it was so weird for me to see that. Uh, sitting down to the movie both times, not seeing her name at the beginning or the end was weird for me. And I don't know what she's up to, but um, but I trust her basically. I trust her. I trust her writing, and I trust her now. I trust her directing. Uh, real quick, what was all? I feel bad about this because I know I loved the movie. I'm my what I mainly remember about Garden State was Natalie Portman's manic pixie dream girl. What was the parental <laughs> relationship in that? Who was Zach Braff's mom or dad? Zach Braff's dad was Ian Holm. Um, oh my who, God! Wow. Yeah. Um, who wore this weird makeup and was also his uh, his father, but also his psychiatrist, and was constantly prescribing him a ton of uh, medications, basically keeping him medicated um, because you know his mother had died uh, in a ridiculous accident that he has a kid that Zach Braff's character as a kid had caused. Um, and so he's, he's this kid who lives in Los Angeles and flies back home to uh, New Jersey. Uh, right. And it's about him being back at home. Right. Okay. I, right. Cause I remember, I remember the parts with him and Peter Sarsgaard and Natalie Portman, but I'd forgotten that right. uh, Ian Holm was the dad. Okay. Right. And there's some silly stuff like with him, you know, in that shirt that blends with the wallpaper in the bathroom and, you know, having his arguments with his dad about being drugged and them trying to have a relationship. Um, the re relationship, and, and I would put Garden, I really loved Garden State, maybe, may, mainly because I thought Natalie Portman's performance was so incredible. I really loved her in it. Uh, but 
the performance in this movie makes that kind of pushed down a lot um, because I just think that the, the, the central performance and all the performances in this movie, but the central performance in particular is really uh, moving to me. So for, for my over and under, uh, I, what I'm going to do is something that I did a little bit of last week and that I, I loved the movie we saw last week so much. And I certainly feel that way about Lady Bird as well, that uh, rather than necessarily – these are all very tightly, closely bracketed. And if I was really – if you put a gun to my head and said, you know, arrange them, I would reluctantly say, okay, fine. I like this one most, this one second most, this one third most. So I'm doing these three movies. But I, I really love all three of these movies tremendously, and it, it kind of hurts my soul a little bit to have to put an order in it to them. <laughs> but I'm going to do it for a reason that I'm going to explain, and I did this a little bit last week. Other than I like this one best, this one second best, one, this one third best. These are coming-of-age movies um, uh, about women, and one of the reasons that I really love Lady Bird and the other two movies that I'm going to talk about is uh, I, I feel that it is incredibly important that women's stories are told with this same degree of attention and care and, and love and that they don't become chick movies. Um, that, that this is a movie that that men should see, that boys should see. I mean, this is the, a woman's fundamental experience growing up, and and how that might differ, and how that might relate to a man's experience growing up. These are three coming of age movies that are not chick flicks, and uh, I just feel that that's very important. But they are so fundamentally about the experiences of young women, and my under, because I actually think I might like this a little bit more than Margaret. Um, Kenneth Lonergan's Margaret with Anna Paquin and J. Cameron Smith as the mother-daughter is an amazing piece of work. It is written by a man. Kenneth Lonergan is a fantastic writer, uh, but Anna Paquin and uh, Kenneth Lonergan's uh, wife, actually, J. J. Smith Cameron, who's a theater actress, uh, their expression of his script and of this story is just so spot on, and their relationship is such a powerful part of that movie. But the reason I'm going to put it under – uh, Lady Bird is what's happening with Margaret is Kenneth Lonergan isn't although it's about a woman's coming of age it, it's more of an existential crisis movie it's almost like a crime and punishment Dostoevsky type story right. uh, and it's not pure coming of age which I feel that this is uh, you know Kenneth Lonergan is talking about more existential issues in Margaret uh, and that's not going on here and I'm I'm fine with that. Uh, so in a way, I feel like this is a little bit more pure of a story. Uh, but what I'm going to put over this, and I'm doing this because I do think I like it a little bit better, and I'm also doing it, Dingus, because dadgummit, you're going to have to see it sooner or later. And if you don't see oh, it, no. I'm just going to keep pushing up your expectations, and I'm going to ruin it for you. The longer you wait, the less it's going to be able to live up to what I'm uh, making it – to how I'm blowing it up here. But I think I like Edge of 17 a little bit better than this uh, huh. because Edge of 17 um, – is not as uh, I don't want to say realistic. Edge of Seventeen is a bit more playful. It seems to capture just sort of the fun of being a kid, and it's not all about sort of the angst of it. And there's a lot of that here, by the way, like her reactions to of joy and her her how much fun she has with her friend Julie. Like there's a lot of joy in this movie, but there's a lot of joy and a lot of playfulness in Edge of Seventeen, in which the actress Haley Steinfeld and the writer and director Kelly Freeman are complicit. Uh, Edge of Seventeen, also an amazing mother-daughter relationship with Haley Steinfeld and um, 
Oh, shoot. Kevin Bacon's wife. Is it Kira Sedgwick? Is that her name? Yeah, and Kira Sedgwick. Uh, so I, I'm going to go ahead and put this over partly because I, I, I just need to needle you a little bit more, Dingus, into eventually seeing Edge of 17. So there. Right. Uh, but so Edge of 17 also, the, the, that's not – it's not an existential crisis movie. It's a coming-of-age movie, and the ultimate point of Edge of 17 is, you know what? It's really difficult to uh, love people who are having a hard time with life. And we're all having a hard time with life, so it's it's just hard to, to love people. It's hard to be loving towards people, and that's kind of the point of Edge of Seventeen. The point of this, I would say, there's some of that, but I would the, there are a couple of points of this that I want to talk about. But I love the distinct points in this movie. Um, so uh, let's let's get down to it. I kind of feel Dingus that this is a prequel to Francis Ha, in that I I I've it's got to be, uh, you know, Greta Gerwig obviously writing from her heart. Uh, these seem like experiences that she's intimately familiar with, being in New York trying to be a dancer or actress. Uh, I, pr- I don't know if she actually grew up in Sacramento, but one of the plot points in Frances Ha is that her family is back home in California, and there's a very poignant moment in Frances Ha when she goes back to visit her, her family, which you could look at in a way as a sequel to uh, Lady Bird, the fact that she leaves her family when she does. Uh, so I kind of feel like this is a, a, sequel, a prequel to Frances Ha. Dingus, is that at all a provocative comment? What do you mean by provocative? Do you disagree? No, I don't. She is from Sacramento, by the way. Aha! I knew that she had special insight in the material in this movie. There's just too much. There's too much uh, sense of place for her not to, and and there's too much. Uh, and by sense of place, I don't mean just this feeling of oh, I understand that this is a place in California, um, but. It's loving. It's it's this weird. If, when when uh, when Lois Smith um, talks to her, when the, that nun talks to her, which this that nun really reminds me of one of our friends, um, just in her expressions and her sense of humor. Um, when that nun talks to her and says, "You understand that you're the way you describe and talk about this is in a loving way." No, I didn't understand that. And I think that this is uh, Greta Gerwig understanding after leaving, because so, sometimes we leave a place, and then it's only after we leave it or want to get out of it that we realize how much we love it. And I think that that sense of place for me in this movie is is her way of like a little bit of a love letter to a place, Sacramento, which is a place that is often derided. Uh, you know, it's not San Francisco. It's not Los Angeles. It doesn't have any of the glamour of, of Hollywood or the ideas of those types of things. It's just this weird podunk town to a lot of people. But it's it clearly the state done love. Yeah, I know. I know. But oftentimes the state capital is a crappy place. <laughs> um, I think you're supposed but, to – it's a state put forth your best city as your capital. Isn't that how that works? I, I thought so, but not always. <laughs> no. <laughs> uh, I, that whole thing too about paying attention and like I kind mm. of feel that that's a big part of the movie is this idea, this, this, this revelation – when Lois Smith and I, okay, one of my favorite things about this movie, Dingus, and, uh, is, and this is always a sign I feel of a good script when uh, no character is simple and a character who you think is just going to be a clown or is going to be dismissed or is going to be a villain or whatever. When by the time the movie is over, you have a new understanding of what was what could have easily been a one-dimensional character. I love that in a script, and that's yeah. true of pretty much anybody with a speaking part in this movie. 
uh, everybody she gives some special attention or some special character development. And Lois Smith, I think, gets to as the the hilariously repressive nun um, saying, you know, six inches for the Holy Spirit. Like that, that's a joke character normally, but she gets to, I think, bring around one of the important points of the movie, which mm-hmm. is love is the same thing as paying attention. And I feel that that is a significant amount that that is a significant observation about her relationship with her mother, uh, the relationship between the two of them um, uh, is that 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 love is paying attention. There's a great moment. Two great moments I want to bring up. Uh, uh, one, when she has just had sex with Kyle and finds out it wasn't her first time, and she cries in the car with her mom. Mm-hmm. And the first thing her mom says, you know, her mom's natural instinct is to comfort her. But her mom says, uh, what, what's this sweater? Like her mom knows she's wearing a sweater that she doesn't have. And we know her mom has a hang-up about clothes and them not looking mm-hmm. like trash. That's one of her character traits. But it, it shows that in comforting her, her daughter, and she doesn't fuss over it, but just shows she knows – like she pays enough attention. She knows every article of clothes that, that her daughter has. I mean naturally she does the laundry, of course, but just that little moment of attention I loved in there. that, hey, you've got a new sweater. It's a nice sweater. What, what is this? And then she says let's to make her daughter feel better. She knows how to make her feel better, and they go do the thing that they love to do on Sundays. But just this idea that paying attention to something is loving it. Um, and the other, the other example of that uh, is a non-faked physical gesture in this movie <laughs> that is one of those little naturalistic things. It can't have possibly been planned. It's just a little magical moment that's captured on film that shows how great the actors are. And it's Tracy Letts uh, holding the, the – when she's holding a little cupcake to blow out the, the candle on it, and she leans forward and a lock of her hair swings forward. And Tracy Letts, as an actor – playing her father who loves her, he just naturally reaches his hand out to move her hair back so it doesn't fall into the flame. Like it's mm-hmm. this great little moment of it's an actor paying attention. It's, he's not just waiting for his next line. And any good actor you can see doing stuff like that. But it, it's, it's this example of paying attention, equating love, equating the performance of a father who loves a daughter. Um, so I love that Lois Smith, a joke nun, gets to bring around this great point that paying attention and love can be the same thing. They're both expressions of the same thing. That's really well put. I mean, I, one of the things I love about Lois, I just love the way that Lois Smith uh, does get to do those things that you're talking about. And also has that one moment where she says, no, I thought it was funny. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, and you're not, you're, again, you're not expecting that. You're not expecting this little touching moment. Uh, and then for her to go on and say that those things that you were just talking about, that paying attention and loving something, well, why aren't they the same thing? Um, because she's she's not just saying something that is uh, the screenwriter talking. She's helping this young girl understand herself right. and understand what's important to her. Um, and also understand her relationship with her family without realizing it. And I really do love that. And I love Tracy Letts in this. Um, sometimes I feel a little weird about him because of uh, I really didn't care for August Osage County, so I tend to uh, give him a hard time. Ding is you like Killer Joe. I don't know what your deal is. Yeah, I know, but I tend to ding him on August Osage County because I just couldn't stand it. Um, but he's just so tight. He's he's so great in this. I love him and, in this. I know. Yeah. And he's and he's and it's a great part, but it's also really 
there, there's a little bit of cringe going on because um, Laurie Metcalf has to be so hard and so and so tough, uh, and he gets to always be the good guy in that way. Um, but I, I just find the way that he plays the part that, you know, having that undercurrent of depression in him um, while still being so loving and careful and also afraid of his wife. Um, I, I love how he gets all of those colors in this character. Uh, I'm really impressed by that. It really does. I, I think what you see with Tracy Letts is a guy who's been a, a – I mean I guess he's had a lot of little acting parts, but I think he's just been writing plays and working with actors for so long that naturally he's a good actor as well. And yeah. uh, I'm going to have to push you for this one as well. Uh, there's another movie about a different Christine. This movie is called Christine, uh, <laughs> and it's it's with Rebecca Hall. And, and uh, Jay Smith Cameron plays Rebecca Hall's mom in it uh, with Tracy Letts in it. Tracy Letts is in oh. – uh, a movie called Christine, and he's great in that as well. Uh, what else did we see him in recently? Well, I saw him in something. I was trying to remember as I was watching it the first time. Oh, the I Kid on Mars something. thing, right? No, it's it was called Intolerance, I think. Ew. Um, about oh, a, right, right. That's another – right. Okay, I'm confusing that with the Kid on Mars movie you told me about with Asa Butterworth. Right. He's a kid this on is, Mars. But this, this is, is a, like a kid in a boarding school during World War II or something like that. And right. He and Tracy Letts plays the uh, dean of the co- of the school that the kid goes to, and the uh, I, I, I remember so little about it that I couldn't even remember the title until uh, Alexandra, uh, who got us got me to see this, uh, originally uh, looked it up and said, "Oh, it's intolerance." And even when she said the title, the title just sounds so generic to me that I didn't know what the heck she was talking about. And then I remember, oh yeah, that is what what she's talking about. I mean, this, this weird uh, kid faints in his office and throws up in his office thing. Is and he doing, is he English? Is he doing an English accent? I don't even remember. Okay. I don't even, I don't remember enough to even be able to, to speak to that. I just know that he's just got a great presence and I prefer him here. I mean, he's, he's one of these actors that I feel like when you get into a room with him, you feel a little bit more comfortable. And I think that that's true of this movie as well. And that's why he's cast in it because you feel you feel comfortable with him. You might not be able to think that, well, he could support a family the way Laurie Metcalf can, but you can feel like he'll knock at the door instead of just going in the door, you know, uh, which I think, I think Greta Gerwig, if she had anything to say about it and you never know as far as how casting goes, um, was wise to have him play that part. Cause it, he's just a comfortable presence, even though he's, he's, he's in a lot of pain. There's a there's a great scene where he, when he sees his son showing up for the job interview, mm-hmm. and he realizes he's not going to get that. There is this you know this sense of being pained at that. Like, well, I'm definitely going to lose this job to a younger guy, but you know it's my son, and like, like he doesn't know if his son's going to get it. But just what what's going through his through over his face when he sees his son get the job interview and sort of taking his son by the shoulders. Like that's just a great layered moment that mm-hmm. he as an actor plays with that that I really like. Uh, well, he. He also, and I missed this the first time around. He also, in the in the actual interview pro- proper, which has that sort of like uh, has that potential just to be a silly, like this dude being a silly dude moment, like a Jeremy Piven kind of a moment. Um, when the guy says, well, "What do we do next?" Um, <laughs> and, and and it's Mister Larry McPherson says. All right. Well, I thought we might talk about the position, and what he's actually doing is instructing this kid right. 
Here's how you interview a candidate. Yeah. <laughs> um, and I kind of missed that that's what he was doing in that moment the first time I saw the movie. That what he's doing is telling that kid, this is how you do that. And then he goes downstairs and, and says to Lady Bird, you know, all right, let's, uh, let's go get a bag of Doritos. And then they see Miguel. Uh, and that moment that you just talked about ensues. And, and I think that that those things are all in are all in a, sort of a stack of right. him. I'll do this. I'll do this. I'll do this. And, you know, Bruce. Miguel is presumably not his son. Did you I don't that? know. I didn't understand. I didn't quite understand that relationship. What, so do, you, what do you mean? So it's not an like he could have been adopted or something. Like they make it clear that they took in Shelley, who's Miguel's uh, girlfriend, right. uh, when she had trouble with her family, and he mentions, you know, you're my only daughter. Well, Shelley, like so apparently Shelley lives there and they care enough for Shelley. So I was thinking, you know, maybe Miguel's adopted because he, he's a Hispanic kid, obviously, and and Tracy Letts and uh, Laurie Metcalf are very white. Um, but I noticed this time, mm -hmm. the second time I saw the movie, I also saw it a second time today, in the letters that. Uh, that he gives, that he puts in, not Greta Gerwig's suitcase, I almost said that, that he puts in Saoirse Ronan's <laughs> suitcases. Uh, the, one of the letters that, and their drafts that Laurie Metcalf has written to her daughter, one of them mm. says, uh, I was 42 when I had Miguel. I didn't expect to have you. Like that's one of the things is when I had Miguel, oh. I was 42. So presumably she was married to a Hispanic fellow who, with whom she had Miguel and then divorced or something happened to him. So presumably Tracy Letts is, is Miguel's stepdad. Uh, according oh. to that detail, which I, you know, it's it's not something that's highlighted in the movie. It, it's not pointed out, um, but that's just I think a little detail in there uh, that 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 you can call out if you see what it, where it says at the letter, where Laurie Metcalf says she was 42 when she had Miguel. Um, Boy, that's a nice catch. But he's definitely Larry's definitely Lady Bird's dad. Oh right? yeah, 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 yeah. Well, Miguel's probably is definitely her older brother. I mean, yeah. Yeah. Okay. So, All right. But, I get it. Okay, um, I get it now. She was oh, well, you know, but that makes me actually that that makes me wonder too, Dingus. Because if I don't know, I don't know, like how much older is Miguel? Because she turns eighteen in the course mm -hmm. of the movie. Uh, yeah, I don't know. Uh, so let's imagine Miguel is Miguel has already graduated from Berkeley, right? Um, and he's got this job at a grocery store. So let's say he's what twenty-two. I didn't know there would be math on. The uh, yeah, you're right, right, right. <laughs> <laughs> but even even like Shelley, who could just be the joke girlfriend, she gets that great bit, which we find out, you know, which Saoirse Ronan later repeats to. Um, oh shoot, what's that kid's name uh, uh, from Manchester by the Sea, who played Danny? Lu Lucas Hedges, Danny. Lucas Hedges, right? Uh, where where uh, Shelley says, um, "Your your mom is warm and has a big heart." Uh, you know, when Saoirse Ronan repeats that to Lucas Hedges later in the movie, you realize, oh, she's taken that to heart. Like, you know, she's she's learning things from other characters, which I loved. Uh, and I think that's an important thing in a good coming of age movie. You know, how do, what what things do you learn from whom do you learn them? Uh, what Have we seen Lucas Hedges in anything else recently? Uh, he I, I think if you were to see three billboards outside <laughs> uh, Ebbing, Missouri, you might catch a glimpse of him. You might. The kids everywhere. Uh, yeah. yeah. And I was talking to, uh, yeah, I went to, I got to actually, cause my dad's in town. I got to see it with him. I was talking to him about the, the fact that he, that Lucas Hedges does seem to be that kid who was in something really great, was really great in it. And now everybody wants to put him in that kind of thing. Um, he's doing fine. <laughs> Um, well, and my, I, one of my favorite. Go ahead. Mm -hmm. What were you going to say? Well, well, the thing is, like, I don't. I, I sometimes do worry about people like that getting typecast. But I, I, 
there's a there's a different enough tenor to these the, these parts that he's playing that I, yeah. I, I th- but he does look like the kind of guy who would be uh like one of the gay tr- drama club guys in high school. He definitely has kind of a face like that. Is that a mean thing to say? No, no. Uh, well, how do you feel about that whole drama club thing? That whole, uh, not only um, the auditioning, but the the uh, the exercises, which we've both had to do those types of things. Uh, the the auditioning was a little weird for me, but I kind of liked. I liked where it went eventually. Uh, it felt a little cliched, but I liked it. Uh, but then the the things with the with with father with father um, I forget his name. Uh, with the the priest where he's leading them before it becomes sort of silly with the coach uh doing their doing their drama exercises how did you feel about that kind of stuff because lucas hedges that's when you first find him you know right so uh it this is clearly i'm guessing tapping into greta gerwood's experience as a child i mean she's obviously a performer she's a great actress uh i'm guessing this is part of her influence as a kid as being part of drama so i think that's why that's in there of course uh but what i what i like about the the sort of drama jokes first of all i like that the two boyfriends um that the movie's more concerned and francis Hodd does this beautifully as well the movie is more concerned about her relationship with another girl that with, a, with one of her yeah. female friends it does it does not define this character by her romantic entanglements i love that about this and yeah. francis ha i love that about edge of 17 uh I, I love that about margaret um so uh so the fact that Danny's just kind of could be the drama joke about her first boyfriend who turned out gay, I like that he gets a poignant payoff where yeah. he gets to express his, his fear and his, his shame about being gay. And, and presumably they're going to be friends. Like I like that it's not just, oh, my boyfriend turned out to be gay and now I'm mad at him gag, uh, that it was an opportunity to give this character depth. Um, but the acting stuff, here's what I loved about this. And, and this is another example where something could be a joke. When Father – and I think his name is something – It's Leviach, I think. Leviach, right, right, Leviach. Thank you, Dingus. When, I, uh, I might Father be Le- wrong about that, but I think it's like that, yeah. Yeah, when Father Leviach says, okay, we're going to do an exercise and see who can cry first, and then he ends up crying first and winning, and we know, oh, I'm sorry. Like, that's a joke. That's funny. Haha. But it ties in later to this idea uh, that he's struggling with depression. And the fact that he gets a little moment about that and that we learn that his son Etienne died uh, and that he also has this sense of you know shame about it when he's talking to Laurie Metcalf. Like you realize too she's a psychiatric doctor or nurse like, and she's compassionate. She is warm. This is the kind of person that, that she helps. So I like that what could have been a hey drama exercise gag is used as an opportunity to flesh out this Father Leviach character. You know, yeah, he, he's it's easy for him to cry because and he that that actor too, his name is Steven Henderson. I love that guy's face. He has just such yeah. a happy, joyous face. So the irony of, of him struggling with depression is just so poignant. Um so and here's also my takeaway, and I'll be I'll be curious if you agree with this, Dingus. Is all Steven Sondheim that insipid? <laughs> oh my god <laughs> that's all sondheim right <laughs> i think but you i think it's that's encapsulated in him saying they just didn't get it <laughs> well, maybe if you weren't doing sondheim <laughs> do some andrew lloyd weber or something sondheim ew <laughs> do you remember uh do you remember doing a podcast where we saw steven henderson and something else i know i've seen him in other things give me a hint 
Um, what's up? Tower heist? Yeah, he's uh, what, he's one of the people in one of the tenants, or maybe he's the super. Oh, right, because you find out that Ben Stiller is like super helpful about the. Like, is he one of the tenants that Ben Stiller is trying to help? I think so, or he's the super of the building. He's 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 a key part of it, but that's but one of the good guys. First... Like he's a noble, good character, right? Right. He's one yeah. of the first people. That's the first time I really remember seeing him. Okay. Uh, yeah, I really like that guy, and I like what he's doing here. And and actually, our listener, we have two listeners who wrote in this week for Lady Bird. One of them would be Chris Markinson, and he really loved this that moment that you, that you're because I, I like the way that um, the drama thing builds because it starts out like a gag that uh, we're doing the auditions, yay, and it's it feels very cliched. Um, <laughs> And then the I gotta say that Saoirse Ronan, when she starts belting out whatever that insipid thing is, that's freaking hilarious, Dingus. Cliched or I, not, yeah. Saoirse Ronan playing a little drama princess at, at her audition—that's uh-huh. that slayed me. That was hilarious, especially like where and, and wearing that dress and the cast, yeah, yeah, moving her arms. <laughs> yeah, I was like, yeah, I, I like I like her. I, I wish we were doing a 1920s kind of a thing because I could see her totally pulling off that sort of a flapper thing. Uh, check out a check out a movie called Brooklyn. Okay, never mind that. That and never. <laughs> sorry. <laughs> anyway, so Chris uh, Markinson says um, it's strange, but I really liked the first to cry scene. Uh, you know, the the, the we're going to play a game called and whoever cries first wins, basically. And the drama teacher crying for him, it, he said it felt kind of raw. Not sure how I would react to that as a student, but watching it in a movie, I really liked it. Uh, but I remember, for me, I, I cringed, but it's only because I've had to do those kinds of terrible theater games um, that sometimes feel indulgent for the teacher. Uh, but, um, you know, where you're like sitting in a circle and you're all massaging each other or whatever. Um, but I really like the way it kind of worked out as far as the payoff that you are describing later on when he sits down with uh, Laurie Metcalf's character. Mm-hmm. And, and he just, you think, why, why did he disappear from the movie? And then you kind of get it, you know? And uh, he, like, and, and that's, you know, another example of this joke is not just a joke. It's, it's right. a way to, uh, to further a character. And I even feel like, so this, you get the same with Danny. Oh, he's making out with a boy in, in another bathroom. And now they're going to listen to Dave Matthews band and cry. And, and that's the end of that. Right. And she moves <laughs> on. She writes, she crosses his name out and writes Kyle, but then later he gets to come back for that. I'm, I'm so scared scene, which is beautiful. Uh, oh, that scene is so wonderful for me because, uh, I'll, I'll return to that. Go ahead. What were you going to say? Well, no, no, because I mean, go ahead. What, yeah, what, what made that scene? Because when, when you came out to your girlfriend at one time. Yeah, wait. <laughs> okay, well, okay. Well, that just happened. All right, ladies and gentlemen. <laughs> In lieu of uh, Kelly Wanding, is someone needs to reach for the low-hanging fruit, as it were. Don't even just just move on. Get me out of this, Dingus, quick. <laughs> All right. So no, what, what yeah. Love, so why did that scene work for you? Go ahead. What What I love about it, that is is watching her make a decision that her mom can't make in real time uh, in, at the airport later on in the movie. So so you watch Lady Bird at the door tell him, you know, you're gay. And, and then him, he's not like, it, there's not this stand like, no, I'm not, F you. He's like, yeah, p- please, please, please don't tell anybody. And, you, and 
in my brain, I'm thinking, okay, 2000, it's 2002, it's 2002, it's palindrome, 2002. That's why this is happening here. And it's a beautifully shot scene, like right down that brick wall. And you see her make the decision that, okay, this isn't about me being hurt. This moment isn't about me. This is about somebody else. This is about somebody else's needs, and I'm going to, I'm going to nurture and take care of that person. I'm, I'm, I'm going to put aside how hurt I felt at losing my, you know, what I, who I thought was going to be my first love, maybe. Uh, and I'm going to take care of him instead. And this is something that her mom can't do later on until, till it feels too late. Uh, and I love that you see um, Saoirse Ronan, or you see Lady Bird, but it's because Saoirse Ronan's so good at this. You see her make that decision and in a split second in her body, in the way that she looks at him and in the way she folds him into her. It's just a beautiful, I, I just think it's just one of those beautiful moments for me. Well, and what it gets to also is, I mean, we don't know what it's like to grow up gay, and especially like this is 2002. It is Sacramento. You know, imagine if this had been Oklahoma or if this has been right. 1990 Oklahoma, like just how difficult, I mean, how, how just traumatic that must be for that poor kid. But also one of the things that made me think of is, you know, before a, a boy that age knows that he's gay and he maybe has a relationship with a girl because he thinks that's what he should do, it right. doesn't mean he doesn't like or care about the girl. You know, obviously they have feelings for each other. Obviously they have things in common. They have fun with each other. Even if he doesn't, because he's gay, want to have sex with her, that doesn't mean that she doesn't mean that much to him. And I love that that's kind of, I think, the point that it's making is mm. that they still care about each other, even if they're not sexually compatible because he likes boys, doesn't invalidate the fact that they were close, that they should be close. Uh, and I just I love that little moment that that this character got to come back and be there. You know, when he comes up and talks to her at graduation, <laughs> presumably, you know, it's all past and they've got this new level of a relationship where – He's gay. He's going to have to deal with it. She has another boyfriend, but they still shared this connection, and they're still presumably friends. Uh, I, I just love that, that we got that treatment with this character. So, so Dingus, the question I have for you then, how do you then feel about Kyle as a character? Uh, I couldn't stand him, but I think that's kind of a <laughs> Right. Here's my objection. How come that kid? I think his name is something like Timothy Ch Chalamet, whatever. How come oh, he his, gets and the way it's spelled? His name. I know exactly. <laughs> so there's on. like little little accents over the east. How come he gets billing higher over, above Beanie Feldstein? That's what drives me crazy. I don't know crazy. because I think she's one of the best she's things about the amazing. Movie. I know. Well, I, I think what it is probably is he's probably had like more parts. This he seems like a kid who's had lots of TV appearances, and I didn't look this up. Um, but uh, yeah, Beanie Feldstein deserves way higher billing. Yep. She's so good in this. But real quick, I do want to. So I don't like Kyle either. And I don't think you're supposed to. But uh, did, did did you like? I don't want to give this away because I'm so proud of myself for catching it the second time, and I want to see if you caught it. Um, how you know? I'll just come in. I, I I didn't notice this the first time I saw the movie. Is so Kyle's a jerk and he's super pretentious and he's a he's a, a, a blowhard and. Uh, he makes this comment when she says, oh, I'll have to kill your family. And he's like, well, my dad's dying of cancer, so that's already taken care of. Uh, yeah. And after she loses her virginity to him, before she goes out into the car with her mom, where they have this – and Greta Gerwig is such a good writer too as far as this mm -hmm. dialogue. And part of the great writing is when you know they're watching the stuff about the invasion of Iraq, and uh, she says uh, – and I wrote this down because it's uh, – where did it go? 
something about it's not not everything has to be the, wait where is it hold on different things can be sad right 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 where, where he's saying hey oh, yeah. you know people are dying in iraq and everything is a war yeah yeah people are dying in iraq what do you care about this whole uh, and she says different things c- can be sad and and then she she leaves and on the way out she sees his dad sitting there snoozing in the chair with a yeah. book open on his lap and he's a he's an older gaunt looking fellow but the second time i saw the movie i noticed the bottles of pills next to him on the table and was like oh yeah that's a guy dying of cancer she's looking at a guy dying of cancer on her way out and that presumably contributes to to this grief that she outpours with her mother in the car but it also kind of humanizes Kyle and shows you a little bit about what Kyle's having to go through of course he's bitter of course he has this idea about i don't want to participate in the economy like of course he's wanting to be withdrawn and you know his his dad is slowly dying in front of him um i totally so, miss the pills yeah and sweet. i can understand that now yeah, I, I, reckon, I caught a detail that Dingus missed. Yes, uh-huh. it's a moral victory for me. I normally miss that sort of thing. <laughs> yeah. I do. I do love the way that they're uh, the, the weird way that their argument, if you want to call it that, escalates after they've had sex. It's not just. I mean, there's the that cliched like, "Are you done already?" Yeah. <laughs> that thing that happens we've seen a lot of times, but. Then the the well, you know, we deflowered each other thing, and he's like, I, I think you made an assumption, and and then she gets upset. He's like, you're choosing to be upset. I, mean, <laughs> I think you just you just didn't understand what I was saying, kind of a thing. Where we all heard him say in the hallway, I, no, he agrees with her. I haven't had sex with another human person. I, mean, I forget exactly how she puts it. but It did it's make of, me wonder, yeah, like what was his phrasing? Does he really believe he didn't tell her that? Is he just lying? Yeah, I, I did wonder yeah. about that. And <laughs> he's like, I no, I have not lied in two years. But you, you, you have to understand the kind of <laughs> the, the things that he tells himself as he sits like over on the other side of the pool during a party reading that like People's History of the United States uh, book and, and uh, only smoking hand-rolled cigarettes. Oh my god, yes. <laughs> Um, and, and you, you understand as he's like sitting on the car when she approaches him, that the deuce is this parking lot, um, that he's constructing himself. He's, he's, he's not just this enigmatic James Dean kind of character, but he's trying to construct that character. And, and I think that Greta Gerwig is very clever as a writer in that she is, teaching us or showing us this is a guy who is trying to build his identity because he doesn't necessarily have an identity, but he doesn't like, uh, or he doesn't like who he was or who the people around him are or who he was originally going to be. So he's trying to build something Uh, and he doesn't quite know how to do it. And he's a little bit wobbly at it, but it's still attractive to certain people. Um, He's a moron I, in a deeper sense. Yes, exactly right. He's a moron <laughs> in a deeper sense. Uh, so before we get to Beanie Feldstein, Dingus, have you seen yeah. Odea Rush and anything else? Uh, Odea Rush was in – I think the thing I've seen her in is Curb Your Enthusiasm. Uh, um, I know, but I have, a, I have a soft spot for that show because it was by a guy who was uh, involved in a, a television show that I really liked. Um but I don't remember what else I've seen her from. She's in um, 
So uh, if Kelly Wand were here, we would probably have all sorts of inappropriate comments about her. <laughs> uh, and I am not I, – I don't mind saying that the things Kelly Wand would say on this podcast, I might have thought during the viewing of this movie. I especially am comfortable with that because she's uh, – the young lady is now 20 years old, uh, so that's, I presume, fine. Uh, I saw her a couple of years ago. And she hadn't aged like she she looked a lot younger, and I didn't have any creepy thoughts about her in this. But she's the the lead chick in the Goosebumps movie, which is for kids. It's a dumb yeah. movie. What? She's super know that. I saw Goosebumps. Goosebumps uh, is uh, here's why I saw Goosebumps. Dingus. Two words: Jillian Bell. I was like, oh, Jillian Bell's in right. that. I'll watch it. I'll watch it. And Jillian Bell's great. I love her. They don't, Goosebumps doesn't do anything with her. But she's she's pretty good in the Goosebumps movies, but she's not like super hot. In this, she's like so distractingly hot and it's really uncomfortable. <laughs> it's really weird. But she's like really good. I liked her. Like just just as an actress. Like she was she, she was a lot of fun to watch uh, in addition to being super hot. And I feel okay saying that because she's 20. And I feel like I should say that because Kelly Wan's not here to say it for me. All right. Well, then I think we're going to have to tell Kelly that he has to wear a short skirt when he comes back. <laughs> uh, I don't know that Kelly Wand would look that good in a short skirt. Uh, but I was going to make it's some – It's not up to him. It's not. I was going to make some point about Odea Rush, which uh, – oh, no, no. I know because I, yeah, I don't forget Odea Rush. The person in this who's just really notable is, is uh, Beanie Feldstein. So, Dingus, yeah. why did you like her so much? She's just playing the, the fat sidekick, right? No, she's not just playing that. She's – I don't know. what. You had a really good point about nobody getting uh, – Greta Gerwig not letting any character get away with just being one-dimensional. Um, in that moment where, uh, where Lady Bird or Christine returns to – or, or goes to her and says, I, I want you to drop me off at my, at my friend's mm-hmm. house. Mm-hmm. Goes in and, and Julie, uh, whose name does not have to be in quotes, by the way. Um, Julie not only gets to, for some reason, uh, surprise us by being the, one of the leads in the musical and being okay with the idea of, well, this, this is as close I'm, as I'm going to get to being able to flirt and, um, I forget what the actual words are, but to to be close to Danny in that way, she understands, and she's she's she seems to be resigned to the fact that uh, Lady Bird is going to actually be able to have a romantic relationship with Danny, and she's like, well, this is as close as I'm going to get, and that's going to be okay. And then when she sees her in the apartment, she's like, you've been crying. What do you? What's what? He's like, well, some. I, I forget what she says, but it's basically that. Sometimes I just cry. Sometimes people just cry. Sometimes people are sad. Well, you know why she's crying, though. I mean, it's clearly because she's because of prom. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. She's covering. I mean, she's clearly upset, and I, I think right. Christine knows that, that. I mean, that's one of the reasons Christine says, "Take me to my friend's house." Right, and uh, but also because she misses her so much, and and needs to be comforted in a different way. They both need this comfort, and I'm I totally missed the line the first time I saw the movie. Uh, when she asks, doesn't your mom have a dress you can wear? Your mom must have a dress you can wear. She says, I've had one for months. Yeah, um, yeah. I missed that line the first time around. I don't know what was wrong with me, but I missed it. It might have been because I was weeping or something. Who knows? Because I was she thought, yeah, all she, she thought she was going to prom. That's like that's mm-hmm. all the sadder is that she's had her dress for months. Yeah, yeah. yeah. 
Uh, and, um, and I just, I love, I loved the way it looked where they're dancing and the, there's a nun like off to the side glowering at them. And then they do have the picture together and all, and then that moment on the bridge where they're talking about, you know, where are you going to go? Where am I going to go? That's, those are very standard, like we're about to leave town or we're, we're about to graduate moments, but she brings so much, um, depth to this role that you, as you said, could be just a fat sidekick. She brings so much depth and humor to it, uh, in, in her, um, in her weird sadness at, uh, kind of having a crush on this teacher who has a pregnant wife and, but they still have, she just, she obviously likes him, but just, uh, admires him, I guess. Uh, and, and her role in that musical after when she starts to do the audition, it just feels like, Oh, this is a sad girl singing, but then she blossoms. I mean, I don't know. I just really loved her in this. So it, it just drives me batty. And I, I, uh, you know, and I, I'm kind of part of the problem because I just sat here talking about how super hot Odea Rush was. Uh, Beanie Feldstein is so good in this and, and, I, like it, it just it, it makes me sad to see her in this movie and see how good she is and see. Mm. I, th- I think the, the centerpiece of this movie is it's mainly, and we'll talk about Laurie Mac- Metcalf in a minute. It's mainly the relationship between more Laurie Metcalf and and uh, and Saoirse Ronan, but uh, it's also about the relationship between Saoirse Ronan and Beanie Feldstein's characters. Uh, that is that is just a powerful centerpiece for this movie, and it just I, I'm so mm. bummed thinking that Beanie Feldstein is going to be basically going to make a great career out of playing the fat sidekick like the rebel wilson kind of character and i just hate that like i want to see a movie about beanie feldstein's character about about uh, julie because that actress is so good and you know in in hollywood she's just going to be playing fat sidekicks and that's that's kind of depressing um so that bothers me but uh i'm so glad that she gets to be in this movie because she's so good in this and and i just love her chemistry with Saoirse Ronan, and it reminds mm-hmm. me very much, and I just love that Greta Gerwig is writing this way, of Greta Gerwig's chemistry with Mickey Sumner in Francis Ha, which has a similar, you know, Francis Ha is very much about the relationship between Francis and Sophie, these two women who are friends with each other. Uh, and I love that that Greta Gerwig is, is writing and casting, and in the case of Francis Ha acting, uh, powerful relationships between women like this. Uh, that are distinctly mm. between two women, and I just it just makes me think it must be awesome to be a chick with a close chick friend like that, like in ways that you know just seeing women bond like that. Uh, you know, men work differently, like when they're good friends, but just seeing them just like eating those communion wafers and just eating cheese and talking about uh, they're just, they're just so we, cute together. We ate all the cheese. <laughs> 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 you you did say earlier something that I wanted to ask you about because you just brought up the word again. Um, you said that one of the things you admire about this movie is that it doesn't become a chick movie. Mm-hmm. And what do you mean by that? So I, there's kind of a formula for chick movies. Uh, and, and I think chick flick is a, is a <clears throat> Uh, it, it, when I use it, it tends to be a dismissive way to describe right. a movie about how men fail women, which is not necessarily a bad thing to make a movie about. A lot of times men do fail women. There's nothing wrong with making a movie about that. But I think when chick flicks 
are just about that. There are more important things to women's lives and, and stories that should be uh, told. And the fact that men are jerks. You know, I don't I don't I know men are jerks. I am one. Uh, I, I think a chick flick is just it, it's a, it's a movie that gets trapped in that formula is we're going to be about a movie about how a man fails a woman or men fail women. And that doesn't – they're just far more interesting things to talk – and the case the, – the relationship between Julie and Christine here or between Sophie and Francis and Francis Ha. Uh, so I think chick flicks are superficial um, kind of comfort food for women about how men are jerks, which I don't dispute, but it's just not for me. And I think there are way more interesting stories that can be told about women. Uh, and this is not about how men fail women, by the way. Right. Uh, this isn't this. This movie would definitely. I would. I wouldn't even have thought about this until you said that, and I'm glad I asked the question because uh, there's that you know the the famous the Bechdel test thing um, that th- this movie easily passes it because the, you're right. It's not a movie about that. It's about their relationships with each other. It's about women ha- women's relationships with other women. Um, in very important ways, and then men impact those things, but that's not what the movie is about. Right. Uh, my, I, I think uh, the the central, like if I was to have this movie express itself in one scene or one little exchange, uh, it would be when they're at Thrift Town, uh, Laurie Metcalf and Saoirse Ronan, and they're looking through dresses, and they just start bickering. And uh, you know, it's bickering about something completely trivial about, you know, are you tired? Why do you think I'm tired? Well, you're shuffling your feet. Well, why didn't you tell me to pick them up? I thought you were tired. Don't yell at me. Like it, it's this it's this silly, <laughs> ridiculous little fight that is just so domestic, and it's the kind of fight you could only have with someone you're related to. But then at that moment and, – and this is so intentional. It's such the movie in a nutshell. At that moment, the uh, – I think it's – is it Laurie Metcalf pulls out the dress and Sir Sharon is like, oh, that's perfect. Don't you love it? Like it's they just mm-hmm. it, in, in a beat, like in one beat, they change the whole dynamic that they have with each other. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's not because, oh, women like dresses. It, it's because they are related to each other and they know how to push each other's buttons and they annoy each other. But they care about each other, and they each know what they like. You know, the fact that her mom pulls out this dress that would look great on her daughter at that moment. It's like kind of paying attention where she notes that she has a different sweater on. Uh, that one little moment, uh, I think there is kind of the movie in a microcosm for me. Uh, and then her mom is up late at night doing the alterations on that dress yeah. herself. Yeah. You know, her her mom is doing those things. You were talking about, you know, the things that her mom does for her earlier that moment is something that Alexandra brought up that, yeah, they have this difficulty because that the, the moments outside the um, dressing room later on are a little weird for me. Uh, but I, I really love them. But that moment where she's up late at night doing the alterations herself uh, says speaks volumes about not only what kind of person she is as far as saving money is concerned, but also how much she yeah. cares about her daughter. No, wait, is this you saying this? Or you're reading something that Alexandra wrote in? No, that's me. That's me oh, saying okay. that. But it's, okay. it is based on a discussion that Alexandra and I had. And I begged her to write in because I thought she would have some really cool ideas about this. Um, but she's like, I talked to you about them. You can just say them now. <laughs> <laughs> and I'm like, all right, I guess that's your version of writing in. That's fine. Uh, but, so I, why- but I really do love that, that, that just her doing the alterations herself. Yeah. Uh, and that's something that, that she pointed out to me. Why do you really feel, didn't go ahead? Why do you feel weird about the other dressing room scene? Um, because the first time I saw it, people were just giggling so much. 
um, at the moment where the two of them are talking and she's saying, do you like me? Uh, I love you. You know, you know, I love you. And she's like, yes, but do you like me? And her mom's just like, I just want you to be the best you that you can be. What if this is the best I can be? And then there's just this weird. And for whatever reason, people were giggling in the theater. That that was not that was not true this time. There's plenty to laugh, laugh with in this movie. I just don't think that was one of those times. And the second time seeing it, it was much more poignant to me because I think other people in the theater weren't laughing. Um, uh, and I don't know, I'm not quite sure. And maybe this is part of, I, I, I don't know Laurie Metcalf. I don't know. I, I never watched um, the, uh, what is it, Rosie? The show that she's famous for. Um, the one with John Goodman. Uh, I like that you think I would know a TV show. Yeah, I was hoping that you would be able to say Roseanne. Me. Roseanne Barr. Roseanne, 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 Roseanne. Rosie. You're thinking of, Rosie. Did you just confuse Roseanne Barr and Rosie O'Donnell? No, but when I brought her up, brought her up earlier, my dad did say, oh, Rosie O'Donnell? No, I was like, no, no, that's not. <laughs> it's, it's, I, but I couldn't remember Roseanne. Roseanne, the, that show. I know she was in that. Um, I don't know if that there are if there's a sense of her being a, a TV actor or whatever for some people uh, who have watched that show, I guess. Um, but in that moment, it just felt, it felt weird to me uh, because it's, it's, it's another example for me of how Lady Bird is able to figure out how to get past her instincts, you know, like she does with Danny to comfort him rather than, just falling back on maybe being bitter and her mom's can't just can't seem to do that. And that moment where she says, well, what if this is the best version of me? And her mom's like, doesn't really, isn't really able to comfort her or able to get past that or able to even understand what she's talking about. I have a different take on that because it's a weird, right. because it, it, cause it's odd that, I mean, clearly she answers her daughter when her daughter says, "Do you?" I mean, clearly she expresses to her daughter, "I love you." But when her daughter says, "Do you like me?" Why doesn't she just say, "Yes, I, I like you"? Um, right. And she does say, "There's that that it's it's an odd choice," but she decides she declines to say, "Yes, I like you," and she instead says, "I want you to be the best version of yourself that you can be." And then Sir Sharonin has that. Well, what if this is the best that I can be? I took Laurie Metcalf's look as being. This is not the best that you can be, as, as being a reproach, as being a definitive answer, okay. uh, being a kind of a you know better than that. This is not the best that you can be. Uh, okay. Like I, there, it, and I know what you're saying because it, it's it's a very well it's it's ambiguous. It's a, it's a subtle thing. It's very much an actor's choice. It's very much an, how do you interpret that look. Um, but I know it's an it's an odd thing. Like why wouldn't you tell your child that you like her? Like that that's that's an odd. It's oddly written and. You know, it's an odd line to draw. It's an odd, yeah, it's yeah, an exactly. odd line to draw. You know? Right, right, exactly. It but, seems but easier also, to say I like you than I love you. Or, yeah, yeah, exactly. But And I just think that the fact that Laurie Metcalf, that, that uh, Mrs. McPherson, what is her first name? Laurie? Oh, um, boy. Because she I know tells Larry's Danny name. to call her. Yeah, she tells Danny. I forget. But uh, I it, forget it, too. That's funny. It's a conscious choice <laughs> to not. His mom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. To not say I do like you, um, and and it 
I just think her character is – there's more depth there, and I love the moment earlier in the movie where she brings up that her mother was abusive and alcoholic. And you know, then and she, closes, watch out, walks out and closes the door, yeah. Yeah, but I don't. I don't think. Like, I don't think this movie ever villainizes her. And you, you know, I mean, it, of course, it doesn't villainize her. There's, there's more to it than that. But I, I think that yeah. that's some insight into who she is and why she doesn't just say, "I like you." Okay, let's leave it. Like, why she she wants to to sort of, I guess, withhold that from her daughter and basically say, you know what? Sometimes I don't like you. You mm. know, because that's the, that's the subtext there. Is that sometimes I don't like you. Uh, you can be better. Yeah. Um, and that's. Uh, I like that actually. I like that interpretation because uh, you know she says also to something to her dad like why does she hate me or that kind of thing. She yeah. doesn't. She your mom loves you and she's got a big heart, and that's but also what Chloe says. Your mom has a big heart. Um, Shelley. Oh, Shelly. I'm sorry. Is the actress Chloe? Because I'm wondering, where did you get the name Chloe? No, I don't know where I got one. Okay, okay. I just remember her name Shelly because I wrote that down. Shelly, uh, yeah. right. Um, and, and yeah, and Tracy Letts is just triangulating between them. Like he understands both yeah. women better than they understand their relationship to each other. Like that's just such this great role for him, his character to, to develop into, someone who just understands them both so well. Uh, the triangulating is a great way to put it. By the way, I just want to say that Chris Webb, uh, and I just realized this now, um, mm -hmm. uh, having read his email that he wrote in, uh, the do you like me thing, I think it is, it, he says it is probably his favorite part of the movie, or uh -huh. at least the most impactful part of the movie for him. Um, and let me let me just say a couple of things that he says uh, that – it was that – by the way, he, he thinks it's a great movie. He's seen it twice too. Um, he really liked it the first time but really loved it, I think, upon seeing it a second time. Uh, so, so that Do You Like Me is that precious sort of movie moment where I react to a line but then the character on screen speaks for me. When mom responds to uh, – paraphrasing here, sorry, quote nerd. I'm not the quote nerd. Shut up. Um, I wish you liked me with I love you. I immediately responded with, yeah, but do you like me? I've long considered the idea of unconditional love and how little that idea comforts me. When the nun says that love is maybe the same as attention, I think it's getting more toward the fulfilling sort of love. I think attention is related. I think he's talking about – I think Chris is talking about some of what you're talking about as far as attention and love are concerned. And um, and then he says he's jealous that her mother would discard letters out of fear that her daughter might criticize her writing, and that's kind of a compliment. Yeah, yeah. Like her daughter, she knows how smart her daughter is. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, and I didn't think of it that way. And I like that Chris brings that up because um, when 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 Tracy lets uh, when Larry said Larry says that to her, she was afraid you would criticize her writing. I didn't think of it as a compliment. It's an it's a really interesting way to to look at it. Yeah. Um, Chris also asks, and I guess I should probably wait until we talk about Laurie Metcalf, though, before I bring this up. Let's, Let's talk about talk Laurie Metcalf. Because yeah. she does say things like that are real digs. I mean, they clearly are characters who say things to each other to hurt one another at times. Um, and, you know, when she says to her daughter, I doubt you'd ever be able to earn enough, uh, that whole exchange Ugh. about paying me that. Like, they're just saying things to hurt each other at that point. Uh -huh. Uh, she doesn't I, – I, I mean I don't you – know, she knows her daughter is smart, and she knows that she can accomplish more, which also makes it a little weird that she resents her going to another college out of state. Like 
she there's a she's a very layered character. She's not simple. Uh, yeah. She's not, and that Chris Webb. I would be curious what he thinks of this in relation to Edge of Seventeen, because there are a lot of similarities as far as, uh, it. You know, she's not a saintly, great mother who her daughter just doesn't understand. Like there is something very petty about not talking to her once she realizes that she didn't tell her about the wait list. Like when she's sitting there, when her daughter's sitting there saying, Mom, talk to me while she's doing the dishes. She's saying, Mom, I know I'm terrible. Like she's telling her mom everything she wants to hear. Like the mom has won this round and she still won't talk to her. That like feels really petty and weird and vindictive, doesn't it? And she's she's begging her. Please, yeah, yeah. Mom, please. Right. right. I, I know I'm ungrateful. I know I did the wrong thing, but please understand that I did it. I'm doing it for the right reasons, and this honors you in a way, you know. Please, mom, and her mom just won't look at her. Yeah. But I've been, that, I've seen that kind of thing happen. I've I've done that kind of thing. It's horrible. You, you're just so emotional that you cannot look at another person in that in that particular moment. And and I think, well, if that if I had been filmed in this particular argument doing that. I would look like the asshole that I was right then. <laughs> <laughs> well, that uh, it it just get. We love a, a good actor doing a good. I am driving away scene at the end of a movie, <laughs> and that's really hard to do. If you want to see it done wrong, check out George Clooney at the end of Michael Clayton. If you want to see it done right, um, what's the good Bob Hoskins Long Good Friday? Mm. Uh, I'm sure in Lock. What are some other good? Well, in this. You know, Laurie Metcalf driving away and doing that circle around to pick up her daughter and getting increasingly like you you see that going across her face. Like she knows her daughter's getting on a plane and she realizes she's made a terrible mistake and she needs to get in there and say, like, that's heartbreaking. That is such a good driving away scene. That's amazing right. work on Laurie Metcalf's part. Uh, and yeah, I think of her as a TV actress. I mean, I know her from a long time ago. She's in a uh, she has a cool part in a Mike Figgis movie called uh, Internal Affairs with uh, Andy Garcia and uh, Richard Gere. Uh, I remember her from that, but otherwise I just know her as someone from TV. Uh, she's just so good in this, um, and especially that driving away scene. She's really good. She's really tough, but she gets to sh- – and this is, again, I mean I think you nailed it when you talked about how Greta Gerwig writes these characters. There's those little moments like at the hospital where she gives that dude uh, a, a – present for his uh, newborn or whatever. Oh, she loves pink. And when she's sitting with the with Father Leviach, there are these little touches that she gets to do, and including the one where you're talking about her sweater or when they go into the houses because that, you know, in the montage kind of thing that happens. Um, you see all these different colors that she does, but she still has this essential toughness because she's had to. I mean, she's had to carry the weight for this family. Uh, yeah. And she still does, and she's worried about it. She's worried about having to do that. And there's this great moment for me when uh, when Lady Bird gets back after her first kiss. You know, she screamed in the street. She closes the door, and they're at the table. She and and Tracy Litz are at the table talking about finances. Mm-hmm. And they hear the door close, and he's like, "Can't we just can't you just leave it for tonight?" She's like, "No." <laughs> I just love the way their dynamic works and the way she is. Uh, somebody has to be the captain of this ship. <laughs> and I love to hit Tracy Letts at the computer playing solitaire. <laughs> yeah, what are you doing? Are you, uh, yeah, nothing. <laughs> like, <laughs> he's so busted playing solitaire to just not get involved in the fight that's going on. <laughs> right, right. 
<laughs> right. He just wants to, and he, and you see him sort of try to like fold into himself and get right. smaller. Right. Right. He tries yeah. to get smaller and he can't because he's a big dude, but he's trying to like, if only I could be invisible, that feeling of when you're in a room and you want to be invisible so that the other two people who are having the fight don't involve you. Right. In right. It. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> you're not collateral damage in this. Uh, All right. So Dingus, the first time I saw this, I, uh, and I think I might've even said this on the podcast. I know I, might have told you uh my feeling about lady bird is it should have ended earlier um okay. but by the way uh so as far as coming of age movies uh and one reason too that i think we we need movies uh, women should tell stories other than about how men have disappointed them although that's a perfectly viable thing for a woman to tell a story about but what i love in this story is what we see lady bird learning is how to be herself is mm-hmm. how to uh, – a pivotal moment is when she gets in the car to go to the prom with Kyle, and he says, I fucking hate this song. And I think it's like Dave Matthews or whatever, so who can blame mm-hmm. the guy for saying that? He says, I fucking hate <laughs> this song. And she says, I love this song, and I want to go to prom. Like for her to learn not to define herself by people that she admires or is insecure around or wants to like her, I think that's such an important – part of this movie is Lady Bird learning who she is. What she's songs not, she's not deferring to a guy. Exactly. Right. She's not deferring to somebody else who's cooler than she is. Not deferring to she's a not teacher, deferring. not deferring yeah. to to a parent even. She she's deciding she likes a song. She's deciding she wants to go to prom. And uh, it reminds me of and it's one of the reasons that I think that Wheelman is is a really good movie above and beyond just being a cool action movie is because the point of Wheelman is a father telling his daughter, whatever happens, never do something that you don't feel right about, even uh, if a boy tells you to do it. Like that's a great that, – that's that's sort of the climax of Wheelman. It's not a car chase. Well, that, it is that eventually. But, uh, but Wheelman wants us to get to a point where it understands a father telling his daughter, never do something you're not comfortable with for a boy or for anyone. And that's kind of what uh, we see Lady Bird learn in the course of this movie. And I love that. And a way that that is symbolized too um, is she wants people to call her Lady Bird. Hmm. But by the time the movie is over, when she goes to school, she gets on the wait list at this uh, school in New York. She gets accepted. She goes there. Uh, she's hanging out at a party. She introduces herself to a boy. She says, my name is Christine. And I kind of felt like the movie needed to end there. Mm. Dingus, what are your feelings? Well, that's the question that Chris Webb was going to ask us. Is, ah. uh, and, and this is the way I kind of felt the first time I watched it. Uh, his, his question is – or even earlier than that, it's should this should this have ended in the flight, you know, in the flight out from from Sacramento as she's flying away? Is that the end of the movie? And that's where I I start to start to as this is part and parcel of of knowing this uh, dude who has done one podcast with us named Bruce Garrick, uh, who says that most American movies should end ten minutes before. They do. <laughs> and the first time I saw that, especially because of that weird church scene where she goes up into the balcony of the church and I don't quite get this. I don't I don't quite get the alcohol poisoning thing either. But I think that the the things where what you're talking about, where she introduces herself as Christine and where she's talking to her mom on the phone or, or rather leaving a message and saying, this is a good name. You gave me a good name. And there's that 
really interestingly edited scene where the two of them are driving on a bridge, but it's intercut as they're both driving. And, and she's talking about driving for the first time and understanding the bends in the road of Sacramento. Um, seeing it a second time, I really did understand why the movie continued to that point. But Chris does for him, it's, it's Chris Webb is very much like it, it should have either ended earlier or much later. What do you think? Yeah. So yeah, my feeling at first was the the when once she decides she doesn't have to be Lady Bird anymore, uh, she's proclaimed the absurdity of taking the name parents give you. Uh, you know that's part of that conversation with the the boy who's not named Bruce, which is the star's name. Uh, he said, "My name's David." Uh, <laughs> my my feeling the first time I saw it was, you know, what it should end there. Like that's great. That's the point of the movie is, you know, she's decided who she is and she's decided that she will accept the name her mother gave gave her and that kind of symbolizes acceptance of her mother right so the movie should end there so the second time i saw it uh i think i understand what greta gerwig is doing and i think i like it even better um hmm. and the alcohol poison it's not even alcohol poisoning she's just drunk she's just she, drunk yeah right and she wakes up at the hospital and but, i like i love the nurse's line like what do you want me to do she's drunk yeah yeah <laughs> uh um so that acknowledgement, uh, of course, that that is an important point. But I think another important point of the movie, and it's where an example where I think Greta Gerwig is not allowing something to be simple and superficial and a throwaway joke. And what does she do, Dingus, after she wakes up alone, lost, hungover uh, in, in a strange city? She goes to a church. Ah, okay. And what does the the seeing the church service impel her to do? To call her mom. Call her mom. And I think what Greta Gerwig is getting at here is that Catholicism in the final moment of this movie isn't a joke. You know, hmm. uh, Sister Lois Smith is not just a six inches for the Holy Spirit joke. She's helping teach. Uh, Christine what love is and the church itself is not a joke it is the church it's this tradition that she connects with when she is alone and lost and far from home okay and in connecting with that tradition it impels her to connect again with her mother and and not even connect by the way it's just to to acknowledge verbally her gratitude uh and and you know how different is that than uh than praying for instance uh, you know, praying to a, a dead loved one. Uh, Greta Gerwig also, it's interesting to me, she wrote Greenberg. Greenberg also ends with a, a voicemail message. Um, so in, in oh. this, it, it ends with her just proclaiming, not directly to her mother, this could be a, a prayer in a way, is leaving a voice message, uh, proclaiming to her mother this kind of connection to her family, this kind of understanding that she and her mother do connect, and Greta Gerwig presents this with that great visual bit of them driving on the same streets, you know, li- mm-hmm. living in the same city, the same curves, the same the same physical space, the same religious tradition. Uh, it makes them, in a way, the same person. Um, so oh, I'm, I, I think it's super important that it didn't end 10 minutes earlier. I think those final 10 minutes are where Greta Gerwig acknowledges that, and it's not overt, I, it's 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 just sort of her acknowledging that that religious tradition isn't just something stupid. It's something that can connect people. Um, Mm. And I think that that's important is that she awakes lost uh, alone in a strange city. She goes to a church and she then puts out an acknowledgement to her mother 
uh, of understanding and connection. Um, you, you know, you saying the word lost, I think there is that there is a lyric in that Dave Matthews song that was like lost and alone that I don't, I don't know if that lyric is actually in there because I don't remember the lyrics of the song, but I do, I do agree with her because I kind of like it because that's one of the first uh, CDs that my younger sister gave me uh, was that Dave Matthews uh, mm -hmm. CD that has Crash on it. Um, but I, I didn't even make that connection. I didn't make the connection to the fact that she had been in a Catholic school and then was returning to a Catholic church. And that's a simple connection, and I just missed it. It just felt weird that she was going into this church. And then I felt, and Chris Markinson kind of agrees with our first interpretation of that it really loses steam in the New York stuff. Um, and even seeing it a second time, I kind of felt that way, but I was more forgiving of it. But I love that because I'm uncomfortable when movies are relying too much on, I'm going to leave you a message or I'm just throwing this thing out there and there's no coming back from it. There's no uh, response. It's just like, this is our way that we do a soliloquy. Um, and I, I, but the way you couch it in terms of a prayer, I think is really uh, trenchant. I mean, it's really, I really like that interpretation because she starts it with an, with uh, with something that she's saying to her father, <laughs> and she says, "But this really is for mom." So she's not dismissive of him, and she's not ignoring him. She's saying uh, – she's talking to him first, and then she's saying, but really this is a message for her. And you couching it in terms of prayer I think is really fascinating to me because I didn't think about that at all. And I really kind of like that idea because in prayer we are if, – if you believe in that or even if you don't, um, you are saying something out into the cosmos and – you don't know if it's landing anywhere. It, it might wind up in somebody's voicemail bin or not, you know, and they might listen to it or not. Uh, so I, I really like the way you put that. How did you feel about that weird cameo? I don't know the actor's name, the guy with the hair lip who, when she asks him, <laughs> was it, how did you feel about that cameo? Cause that guy, we know from other things. I don't know. If I've seen him in things. I, it was weird. I, I didn't understand what he said. Like at first, both times that he was saying Sunday. Um, it's okay. I, I guess Greta Gerwig knows him, or don't don't put famous people in cameos like that. It, it yeah. distracting. It's distracting to me and Dingus. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> Have yourself in there. How about that? Do you do an Alfred Hitchcock? I know, right? I because this is the thing is I, I'm watching this and I'm just thinking of how good she is in Francis Ha, and I'm like, why? Could, just couldn't you played one of the nuns or something or i just i missed seeing her i mean you hear her in this uh so is, is there ever a moment where you were like she, i she spent a lot of time with noah Baumbach, where it felt too noah Baumbach. because i have one <laughs> moment the line i love this line but if, were there was there anything in here dingus that you're like that's that's too noah i don't know uh i mean i love the line i really like dry humping more <laughs> but it does sound a little bit bombocky. It sounds a little squid in the whale to me. Well, it, uh, it's also, I mean, I don't want to get too graphic, but as younger people are uh, figuring out how sex works, um, I think it's easier <laughs> to neglect the part of sex that women enjoy. Like, I think it's easier for a dude to not understand 
the same reason you're enjoying sex, the chicks don't like there's a different way that what am I trying to say? Uh, this is awesome. I wish Kelly Wan were here right now. God. <laughs> this is when we really miss Kelly Wan's short skirt. Look, it just gets to the point that there are different uh, points that cause pleasure for men and women. And right. when you're a dumb kid having sex, you might not understand that about a woman. So naturally, the woman's going to be like, well, dry humping felt better for me. <laughs> yeah. Okay. I don't, at any rate, no, I, I – uh, I, I like the uh, physiology of that line, I should say. <laughs> uh, there was – so I mean it's just really good dialogue, but there was the, the one where uh, Lois Smith is telling her uh, – she's saying, I want to be in the math Olympiad. And Lois Smith saying, well, that's not your strongest subject. And she says, that we know of yet. Like that uh, just seemed awfully precious and bomb-backy, and I don't, I'm okay with it. It was delightful. Uh, I noticed they put it in the trailer, but I was like, that's really cute and perfect and – uh, I love it, but that's her, that's I think her learning a lot from Noah Baumbach's dry wit, uh, right? And also that, very that Rushmore. Sounds a little Wes Anderson. Exactly, I think it's Rushmore because like, that's that's the thing is like Rushmore. This uh. kind of gets it why I don't like Rushmore as much as you do. Is this is like super realistic and it's very honest. Rushmore has these weird Wes Anderson flights of fancy that I for me compromise. The, the honesty of of it as a coming of age story, uh, like like Rushmore. Sometimes I'm not sure is am I really seeing what Max is like? Is this just in someone's imagination? Uh, so Rushmore, all of Rushmore is great bits of writing like that we know of yet, mm. uh, and it's all very clever. But sometimes I'm confused by how honest Rushmore is being with me. I, I can understand that because that that scene immediately calls to mind him sitting there in the in the dean's office and going, well, well, we'll just have to have a postgraduate year. We don't offer a postgraduate year. <laughs> well, not yet. See, that yeah. stuff is funny. It didn't yeah. ever happen that way, but it's funny. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Uh, I looked up what, because I was like, I'm really sad. We don't get to see Greta Garwig. I looked up what she's in next. Do you know what she's in next? I have no idea. A freaking cartoon. What? Doing the voice of a talking dog. That. <sighs> Happens to be directed by Wes Anderson, so oh. I was immediately d- dismayed, and then I, and then I was glad. I was like, "Oh God, oh, she's in a oh, cartoon good. as a talking dog." Oh, it's a Wes Anderson cartoon. So. Well, he directed one of my favorite cartoons. That's not a cartoon. That's stop motion. Oh, right, very good. Actually, is is fabulous, Mr. Fox, fantastic, Mr. Fox, stop motion animation, or is that drawing? No, no, it's it's stop motion because yeah, you see right. like the hair moving and whatnot. At, uh, yeah, right, right, right. Of course, right. Yeah. Uh, I think the dog movie is a cartoon. He's just drawing. I don't know. We'll find out. So, uh, Chris uh, Markinson also thinks, and I forgot to bring this up when you were talking about uh, what's her name, Odea. Odea Rush. He says she's uh, an Israeli model. I believe. Actually, I don't know about him. She's Israeli, like Gal Gadot. I was going to bring that up. Okay, so uh, what Chris says is that her rich friend looked way too much Mila Kunis. He kept wondering oh. what she was doing in the movie and having to remind myself it wasn't Mila Kunis. Dang, Markinson, absolutely, absolutely. Yeah, That's he, exactly what that is, is she's growing into a, a Mila Kunis doppelganger. Yeah. Yeah. Have you seen yeah. Bad Moms 2 Christmas, Dingus? Yeah. <laughs> I saw it. I just thought maybe you would as well. Uh, <laughs> so, Dingus, should we do a Bad Moms Christmas movie podcast next week, or should we do something else? I think we should do something else. I think we should do something tailored specifically to – the talents of Mr. Kelly Wan. A Kelly Wan synopsis. All right, so join us next week for a Justice League podcast. 
we are not getting it to DC or Warner Brothers for Anopsis. We're getting one from Kelly Wand. Uh, while he's gone, he actually emailed us expressing his eagerness to do a Justice League podcast just so he could do a synopsis. So uh, join us for that next week. Uh, we'll also be doing a 3x3. Three three. Dingus, tell the listeners what the 3x3 three three is, and they still have a week, how they can participate if they get us a uh, submission in by, let's see, December 3rd. What is it? No, no. <laughs> no, Come. All right. So your 3x3 uh, your three three for next week when you should actually send in. Uh, is your favorite instances of the word no. And I was generally thinking of when a character yells no in a movie that no kind of a thing. But uh, but I'll settle for any no that you have if it if you can if you can defend it. But I was originally thinking of a character yelling no, but I'm not I'm not going to be a stickler. Am I allowed to pre-announce that I hate a three by three or should I save it for that? Podcast? No, no, you can go ahead and you can pre-announce it. Nope, not going to. So there tricked you. <laughs> All right, join us, listeners, next week. Justice League and then a three-by-three of knowing at each other. I am Tom Chick. I have been here with Christian Murkowski. It's Christine Murkowski. Because it's not important to be right. It's only important to be sure. I prefer that we be more capable and prepared than lucky. Observation, reflection, faith, and determination. In this way, we may navigate the path as it unfolds before us. All right, and we have, what, eight more recharge cycles to go before we get to Aurigai 6? Is that a question, yes, sir? Yes, Walter, that's a question. That is correct. I'll just keep saying dumb shit till you crack. <laughs>